0: That spiritual war manifests itself in the physical realm through culture. And lies are spoken at the level of culture that shape the whole of society. And then we live within the framework of those lies. And we don't even know it. It's just the air we breathe, the water we swim in.
1: Welcome to Ideas Have Consequences. Both good and bad ideas have the power to transform cultures. Explore with us how biblical truth can create cultures that thrive and flourish. My name is Luke Allen, and with me on episode one of this new podcast are my coworkers here at the Disciple Nations Alliance, Dwight Vogt, Sean Carson, Daryl Miller, and Scott Allen. We at the Disciple Nations Alliance exist to equip you with a biblical worldview that transforms your life and empowers you to bring God's kingdom to your world. And on this show, we want to do just that, by breaking down ideas, exploring their consequences, and finding ways to take action and apply what we have learned. Again, welcome to Ideas Have Consequences.
2: Great to be back with you, Darrow and Sean and Dwight. We're going to have a great discussion about this question, what does it mean to disciple at the level of culture? What does it mean to disciple at the level of culture? And how is this different from what most people have in their heads when they think of discipleship, kind of traditional understandings of discipleship?
0: Well, I could start by saying what it's not. Okay. First, let me say discipleship is incredibly important. And we are to disciple individuals, especially when people have come to Christ. We are to disciple them and we are to disciple them in the spiritual disciplines. So when somebody comes to Christ, uh, you teach them to pray, to worship, to uh, share the Gospel, and uh, to study the Word of God. These are considered the spiritual disciplines, and part of what it means to disciple is to disciple individuals in the spiritual disciplines. So I think we need to say that because some of the other things we may say, well, people will say, hey, you're not saying that. No, we are Mm -hmm. saying that. They're important. They're fundamental, but they're not sufficient is the way that I would say it because the Great Commission isn't simply about saving individuals. God wants to see nations transformed. And the Great Commission is about discipling nations. And part of that is discipling individuals in the spiritual disciplines. But that's the beginning, not the end of the process.
3: Hmm. When I think of the word um, just disciple, what does that word mean? And, And immediately I thought, well, it's to form the heart and the mind. And when we disciple someone, we're we're helping them form their heart and mind into something new, or changing, or reinforcing. But it's a formation, and I think that's why the spiritual disciplines are emphasized. Because hopefully, if you're in the Word and if you're praying and you're going to church, you're you're you are forming the heart and mind. But I think when we, when we get in troubles, we think that is discipleship. No, it's actually one small tool are a tool towards forming the heart and mind. So,
2: hmm. uh, yeah, dear, I want to go back to your comment about it's uh, it's essential or necessary, but it's insufficient. And uh, pick that up a little bit and just flesh that out. Uh, y- y- you know, when you say it's insufficient, insufficient for what? And I think this becomes a key question: what what is what's the mission of the church? You know, what, what's the big goal? What are we here for, you know? And you talk about the Great Commission, and, you know, that's a place in the Bible where we see this big picture of the mission kind of laid out. And, you know, there um, Jesus says you're to make disciples of all nations. And the object is nations. It's, uh, and I think when we think about discipleship, traditionally we think about uh, people as individuals, and that's appropriate. You know, it's, it's as you say, it's necessary to disciple people individually, but it's not, um, what was the word you used, uh, sufficient to disciple nations. Yep. In other words, there's a connection between the individual and the nation, between the individual and a culture. And God wants to influence all of that, and I think where we sometimes, <clears throat> you know, we don't, where we our thinking needs to be challenged is we understand the individual part, but we don't understand nation or culture and the connection between the individual and the culture. We kind of cut it off there. Mm-hmm. And um, so we need to, to have our thinking kind of renewed on that. What is the mission? Is it just to disciple individuals? It's essential, but it's not sufficient. If well, the goal, if the goal is to have an impact at the the level of culture or nation.
0: Well, and again, I think this is a product of the sacred-secular divide, where if what the church is about is spiritual things, then we translate the concept of discipling simply in terms of spiritual disciplines. If we are thinking from a holistic or biblical worldview, it's much larger than that. When God raised up Abraham, as uh, we see in the Old Testament, he blessed Abraham for what purpose? To be a blessing to the nations. And it's not just to individuals. God wants to bless nations. And the Great Commission is about discipling Nations, and because of the dualistic paradigm, we have reduced that to saving souls for heaven. That's right. I think it's uh, instructive to look at the continent of Africa, because Africa has been evangelized. And there's been a lot of discipleship going on in Africa, but not on the level of culture. And so you see, Africa today is still, while one of the wealthiest, if not the wealthiest continent on the planet in terms of natural resources, it is still very impoverished. Corruption is rampant. Lack of faithfulness in marriage is rampant. Um, So many things are rampant because evangelism has occurred, and maybe discipleship in the spiritual disciplines has occurred, but discipling on the level of culture has not occurred because it has not been part of the church's framework to think in those terms. Haiti's been in the news recently, and I've just uh, had an interview about Worldview in Haiti, and uh, I've just written a a blog on this but Haiti has been in the news and someone said during the earthquake what was it 10-12 years ago in Haiti a professor from the University of California who, whose specialty is Haiti said that Haiti has been evangelized. 80% of Haitians are Roman Catholic. are Protestant, and 100% are voodoo. And there are, I am sure, Catholic seminaries there. There are Protestant seminaries there. There are Protestant Bible schools there. People are taught some of the basics of the faith, and some are um, taught... Baptist theology, Baptist doctrine, or Lutheran doctrine, or Catholic doctrine. But no one has taught them worldview. They haven't discussed the concept of discipling at the level of culture. So what is in the heads of Haitians? It's voodoo. It's voodoo culture. It's voodoo mindset. And that's why Haiti today is so poor and so chaotic, even though evangelism has taken place and certain levels of spiritual disciplines have taken place. But there hasn't been the concept and consequently the discipling of Haiti at the level of culture.
1: Hmm
2: let let's let's flesh this out a little bit. what What does it mean to disciple at the level of culture? You know what, what uh, you know it's easy to say that, but but what what practically does that mean? What does that look like? How do you disciple a culture?
4: Can I read something from uh, Ken Myers? Yes. It says he says that um, discipleship at the level of culture is a work of alternative enculturation. To present a new way to understand life and the world in which we live, that is a new way to understand what is real, and this new way of understanding life is incarnated in alternative cultural forms that are sustained across generations and, when possible, shared with our neighbors. So as we talked uh, before about culture, um, discipling at the level of culture is presenting a new
0: culture, a new way, of, a new reality, a new reality, <laughs> right? Not yeah. a new reality, yeah. but the, the, the reality. Real- reality, right. True. Thank you. <laughs> and because people live in worlds of illusion, right. when they deny God, when they deny there is a creator, they live in a world of illusion or maybe mm. delusion. Mm. And so it's bringing them to reality. What is real? That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Women are not inferior to men. They're not objects. Women are made in the image of the living God. That would be an example of discipling at the level of culture. Changing the mental paradigm about women. So they begin to be treated as the image of God and not simply objects to be used and conquered as they are in so much of sexist society.
2: And then, even to go beyond that, Darrow, to take that example of women, that idea, that biblical idea, the reality of who women are, and to I love that quote from Ken Myers, mm-hmm. but to, to create practices, um, to create a culture, if you will, a value and a culture around that, in the places where we can where we can influence cultures in our businesses, families, you know, where where are you creating culture? Where where do you have influence in in shaping a culture, and how can you bring that idea
0: into the way that that culture is mm-hmm. shaped and created? Remember again that institutions, economic, political, and social institutions, are downstream from culture.
1: Mm.
0: They're not upstream <laughs> from culture. Can you expand on that? Yes. Culture is derived from worship. What is the nature of the God that you worship? Mm-hmm. I was sharing these things in Kenya a number of years ago with a group of pastors. And I read from Deuteronomy 11, I think it is. Let me see if I can find it. Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. That is God's character. He does not show partiality. He doesn't accept bribes. And as I shared this with this group of Kenyans, mostly young pastors, one of them said to me, well, Darrell, what you're saying is bribery is an act of worship. Hmm. Well, it is. It's an act of worship, but not of the living God. It's the act of worship of a pagan God, and this young pastor caught it and made that very profound observation. And then he said, what you're saying, Darrow, is doing justice is an act of worship. It's an act of worshiping the God who is just, So you're moving from what is the nature and character of God to culture. Do we create a culture that is just? Then you move that from the culture to the level of institutions. Are the institutions that you're building just institutions? So there is a moving from... The cult, the worship, what is the nature of the god or gods you worship, to the concept of culture in a very practical way. Is it corrupt? Well, that's a reflection of gods that can be bribed. Okay, so culture is corrupt, so now you have corruption in these institutions, in economics, in social and political frameworks. They are run by corruption. So we are to disciple nations, not just win souls for heaven. And to disciple nations is to bring God's character, the living God, his character to the forefront of our nations, and let that shape the culture and thus the institutions that flow from that culture.
1: Hi, friends. Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to encourage you to take a minute after this episode is over to let us know what you think about this new podcast. The best way to do that is by leaving us a review on the podcast platform that you're currently listening on. While you're at it, if you haven't already, please give this podcast a follow so that next time an episode comes out, you'll be notified right away.
2: Yeah, Darrow, and how, you know, if you have a vision for forming institutions, And shaping them in the worship of the living God, um, that's very powerful because let's take an educational institution. The reformers, you know, the Puritans in our country set up Harvard and Yale and these schools to be places that reflected the worship of the living God. And then everyone who goes through those institutions is shaped by them. They pick up the values, what's important, what's not important. They just pick that up from the institution, whether they're Christians or not. And in some sense, that's what it means to disciple at the level of culture. It's to, it's to influence people in the reality of the living God through the institutions of a society, whether they're believers or not. But you have to have an intention to do that, you know, you, to say this is important, to shape a culture that, that honors God, that fears God, that reflects his reality.
0: And in one sense... We can say that discipleship is pre-evangelism. Right. As Christians, we think that, oh, we need to start with evangelism. Not necessarily, because if we're talking about reality and the nature of God and what that means for culture, women are made in the image of God, we can teach that and talk about that before we evangelize. That's right. So we can be discipling people and a culture pre-evangelism. Yes. Now, does that mean we don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ? No. That's absolutely fundamental. But we can disciple before people come to Christ and after they come to Christ. It's such a really powerful point, Daryl. Yeah, I think we we
2: have in our minds. I know I did as a young Christian. You know, people come to Christ and then they're discipled. But we can work with people in terms of relating to them and interacting with them as if God is real. He is real and he's alive. And he's you know there is a culture. There's a kingdom culture, and we can interact with people and relate to people from that vantage point before they are believers, because it's it's the real world, as you were saying.
0: Something we can add to this discussion, when you think of the exodus, God leading his people out of Egypt, they had prayed for 430 years. I don't know if any of us have prayed, prayed that long, or anyone listening to this podcast have prayed that long, but... the Hebrew people had prayed for 430 years, and there was no answer. And then God answered, and he led the Hebrew people out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery. No sooner were they out of Egypt than what did they want to do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. They missed the leeks and the garlics, at least that's what it said. But there was something more profound than missing the leeks and the garlic. What was more profound, it's one thing to take a people out of slavery. It's a totally different process to get slavery out of their heads. And they had lived for generation after generation as a slave people in a slave society. And now they are free. They're out of the prison, as it were. But the prison is still in their mind. Now what do you do? And the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, are God's story of what he did and had to do to transform a slave mind to a free mind. To get the Hebrew people from having a mindset of slavery to be able to function as a free nation. And that's what the Pentateuch's about. I was in Pessoa a number of years ago in Brazil. And I visited two missionary Young missionary women, who were working on a garbage dump in Jalpasoa, they wanted me to go see the people they were working with and what they were doing. And as we were driving to this garbage dump, they took, they drove past uh, some new apartment buildings, brand new apartment buildings with running water and electricity, and and they said the city, the Chalpasoa, built these apartment buildings to get the people off the garbage dump. And then we went to the garbage dump to see all the people that were there. And after the apartments had been built, they came in, moved the people off the garbage dump, all the children, the parents, and they bulldozed the cardboard trash shacks back into the garbage dump. And within six months... Where were the people? They'd walked away from these brand new apartments with running water and electricity, and they've moved back to the garbage dump and rebuilt their trash houses. What's the lesson? You can take people off the garbage dump. That's one activity. But how do you get the garbage dump out of their minds? Mm -hmm. Totally different process. And if governments don't think in those terms, what they do is the easy thing. They spend money to build apartments. Great. Clap. We did this. But the people don't want to live in the apartments because they've still got the garbage dump in their minds. In other words, they're not...
2: Let me go back to your Israel illustration. God was trying to create a culture.
0: Trying to create a culture, yeah. a culture a nation, of freedom.
2: A nation and a culture. Of freedom. To be a model nation, right? Yeah. yeah.
0: And it yeah. takes time. And it takes and time. And it's a process of new enculturation, which yeah. is what Myers was mm-hmm. arguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Discipleship is a process of enculturation. Yeah. In- consciously enculturating.
2: Yeah, I I think you see it in our in the United States. You see this very powerfully negation. In other words, somebody is going to be discipling the culture, mm-hmm. right? You know, somebody's going to be shaping and influencing it around the worship of some belief system. It's you know, it's there's no neutrality here, as we've said before in other podcasts. Somebody's going to be actively influencing the culture. So today, you know, people are kind of waking up, and they're they're. Christians are waking up kind of shocked, uh, myself included, going, wow, look at all of these powerful institutions of our society, Uh, government, media, big business, uh, education, K through 12, and our university systems. They're reflecting a non-biblical worldview. They're reflecting this worldview of critical theory, of Marxism, you know, how and they're did, propagating it, and they're propagating it through the institutions, right? Because yes. the kids are going through the schools and they're learning it kind of by osmosis. Because that you know they've been shaped now to reflect mm-hmm. that false belief system. And Christians are going, how did that happen? Like, what what happened? You know, actually, we're in it, we live in a country where probably the majority of people would would claim Christianity. You know, whether mm-hmm. they believe in Jesus or not, they would claim some affiliation to it. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? I answer my own question. It happened because the people that were propagating that worldview understood what it meant to disciple at the level of culture. That's right. And they had a vision, and they were very disciplined about doing it, starting with the school systems. You know, we need these school systems to reflect our belief system. We need to get it into the curriculum. And, uh, you know, from there, you know, it, it can begin to ripple out into every area of society. I would say that this process started you know, back in the 1950s. And now it's bearing fruit at every level of society. My point is Christians, I think, used to have a vision to do that kind of thing. But yes, we did. St- we lost it. So we, we, went, we went to the sideline. We took ourselves out of the game. And then somebody else, you know, went on the playing field and mm-hmm. played the game. And now we live in a culture that even though we're Christians is not reflecting the worship of the living God. So you see it in negation, Mm -hmm. um, this process of discipling at the level of culture.
0: Well, and you see the Reformation as an example historically of how nations were transformed because the Reformers understood that the Word of God was for all of life and all the institutions of society. And they taught this, preached this from the pulpits of the Reformation, and nations were transformed in one or two generations. We see it with Wesley in in England. England was a cesspool before Wesley came, and within a little more than a generation after he came, he preached Christ crucified, and he preached that the crucifixion of Christ had a public impact as well. So he accepted, he understood that if people came to Christ, the society should be changed. That's right. And we saw England transformed in a little more than a generation. Mm. And part of that change was Wilberforce and his, the people that were part of the Clapham sect who brought an end to slavery coming out of the Wesley revivals.
2: That's right. Yeah. So it used to be something that was part of our tradition, but then, you know, we lost that vision.
0: We walked away from it. We
2: walked away from it, but other, you know, other people didn't. You know, they were very intentional. Intentional. At at, at shaping the culture and influencing it and discipling it, if you will, in that way.
4: It seems like the church has become Israel in your analogy of. God taking Israel out of Egypt, and uh, the church was a part of society, and now we've been relegated to a religious institution. And um, I don't think God's wanting us to stay there. He's wanting us to engage with culture, to change culture. But we're pretty content to just come on Sunday
0: mornings. It's easier. It's it's way easier. Much easier. Yeah. What does it mean to... Disciple at the level of culture. What does it mean to bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done, to Atlanta, to St. Louis, to Los Angeles, to Lima, to Nairobi? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. We have to think about that and then consciously act on that and eventually build institutions that reflect that.
4: Yeah, because we professionalized Christianity just like the business world has. Mm-hmm. We hire a pastor to teach us and to do the the work of to the do, ministry right. while we do the other things. While we do the other things. And instead of us seeing ourselves, the church is the body of Christ. We're all engaged. We're all meant to be engaged we in culture. We all have an important
2: role to play, right?
4: To be discipling culture, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah. I just want to come back to the motivation, Dara, really quick. You... You mentioned Genesis chapter twelve, verses one and three, the call of Abraham, and I think this is so important. You know, we're not talking about engaging the culture and discipling the culture for some kind of, you know, so we can be superior and dominant and kind of have our belief system imposed on everyone else. That's not at all, you know, the biblical idea. The biblical idea is this is true, and because it's true, it's good. It sets people free. In other words, God said to Abraham, I'm going to raise you up. I'm going to create a culture here that's going to be a blessing to all the nations, to all the cultures. But the key idea is blessing. It's good. It's going to bless the nation. It's going to lead, you know, to freedom, prosperity,
0: flourishing. And with that in mind, Scott, the blessing is truth. The blessing is goodness. The blessing is beauty. This is the culture of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come to where? To earth as it is in heaven. Because we're do we spend so much time focusing on getting people to heaven.
2: Hmm. Or into church.
0: Or into church, and then waiting in church, and the church is like a warehouse of souls waiting to die to go to heaven. Rather than taking seriously what Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is bringing the culture of the kingdom of God to earth. Bringing beauty into our communities, into our homes. Speaking the truth and speaking the truth to power. Not only being good, but doing good goodness is to be part of our lives. And this is, this is discipling at the level of culture, the engagement with beauty, truth, and goodness in our daily lives in the world.
2: Okay, I wanna talk more about that. I wanna get kind of down into it. Like what does, how do we do that, right? We're talking about the concept of discipling at the level of culture. But let's see if we can get practical in some, you know, in some in some ways that people can go. Okay, I know, I know what I can do, you know, to do that.
4: Mm. Can I just read? Um, so Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, um, "Where there is no vision, the people perish; but he that keepeth the law, happy is he." That's the King James. But just the idea of a vision. Um, when you have a vision, and you have God's vision. Then flourishing is is meant to happen. When when we don't have that, then unrestraint happens, chaos happens, selfishness happens, and um, that that doesn't promote flourishing. It doesn't promote goodness. There doesn't need to be truth in that.
0: Yeah. And Scott, what what you were saying, we we live in a in a generation where people do not want to hear things that offend them. We have safe spaces. I don't know about universities in other countries, but in the United States, it's not about the pursuit of truth anymore. It's about creating safe spaces where people don't have to be challenged, can't be challenged, or hear anything that might offend them but the concept of the pursuit of truth came right from the lips of Jesus Christ. In John 8, 31 and 32, he said to the Jews who had believed on him, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. These are not simply pious spiritual things. Continuing in the word of God allows us to come to understand truth. And what does truth do? It brings freedom. And this is why the universities in the West were so uh, much about the pursuit of freedom. You could go to the university and you could argue, you could discuss, you could challenge That's how it used to be because people were pursuing truth. And that means something. Today, the environment is opposite of that. Don't say anything that could offend somebody. So what do we do? Because, just, just on that, because that's their truth. That's
2: their truth. So don't offend them. Accept that. Respect that. You know, end of story. That's the postmodern. These are the
0: words that are used their truth. This is my truth. You have your truth. But those words are faulty words. You can say, This is my opinion. What's your opinion? That's the language we should be using. And challenge somebody when they say, Oh, this is my truth. No, it's your opinion. Because truth is objective. It's based on what is real. We no longer have a pursuit of truth in the culture today. In fact, we are now the post truth culture. We don't want to deal with truth. So, what can we do if we want to disciple at the level of culture? Speak truth. You do it nicely, you do it civilly, but you don't not do it for fear of offending somebody. That's one every day of our lives, we can be people who, in the situations in which we live, speak truth.
2: I like when I'm thinking practically about this, and Dwight, we need to hear from you on this too. But when I'm thinking practically about this, I like to to challenge people to, because I think when we talk about discipling at the level of culture or just, Mm -hmm. let's say, influencing culture, it seems too daunting. Mm -hmm. What can I do to shape a culture, right? And then we're thinking culture very broadly, like the culture of the United States or of the culture of Brazil, but I, I like to challenge people to, 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 to think of it differently. You know, we all have opportunity to shape culture. Um, if we think about culture in terms of just, you know, whatever that group is that you have some influence with, it could be as small as your, your marriage or your family. Or if you have a position of influence in the place that you work, you are, you, you have a place, a platform to shape a culture Mm -hmm. or if you're a coach of a sports team you have a platform to shape a culture Um, so think of it that way and then like you were saying Darrow, what what does it you know just there's so many ways that we can bring this in this being biblical truth in but pick one way you mentioned truth that would be one way you know are we thinking biblically about truth here Another way is just the way we, you know, we think about each other. Are we, do we see each other as human beings in the biblical sense? Do we treat each other as human beings in the biblical sense? So there's many ways you can do it, but I think it's helpful to say that's what it means to disciple at the level of culture. It's, it's right there in, your, you know, in the place where you can begin to make a difference and shape a culture.
0: I was in uh, Pune, India a number of years ago doing a series of lectures, and uh, teaching on some of these things. And after a while, uh, after a session, a young man came up to me and uh, was thanking me. And he said, "Darrow, I have a story to tell you. And I've been telling this now for 15, maybe 20 years. And um, he had come to understand that women have dignity. But at that time in India... If a man got on a bus, a woman had to stand up to let the man have the seat. That was the culture. Because in Hindu culture, women are inferior to men. In fact, in Hindu culture, a woman was a man in the last life who sinned a lot or had bad karma and came back in the current life as a woman. And if she hoped to be a man in the next life when she is reincarnated again, she had to suffer as a woman. That's the culture. So if she gets on a bus or a man gets on a bus and women are all sitting down, one of the women is to stand up to let the man have the seat. And this young man had come to understand that women are not inferior to men. They're made in the image of God. And he said, quite simply, if I'm on a bus and it's crowded and a woman comes on, I stand up and give her my seat. That's discipling at the level of culture.
2: It's creating a, especially if you have influence over a group of people, you can say that this is what we do around here. That's culture.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's. This is the way we act around here. He, at that moment, might not have had a platform to lecture. Right. But he was on a bus with a bunch of people, and he did something that broke the norm of that culture. And that can cause, what's he doing that for? I wonder why he's doing that. And it creates a question for people to reflect upon. Mm. So whether it's having a platform, or having a radio program where you can challenge things, or it's simply demonstrating yeah. the truth of something that's in so a very good. simple way.
2: That's so good, Darrow. and I think that's another angle, uh, another avenue into this, you know, where people go, how do I do this? What is it in the culture now that really goes against, you know, clearly that you see it, it goes against the, the teachings of the Bible and the reality of the living God? So treating women in that way does, that's clear start there, Mm -hmm. just start there. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to lead by example and Lord willing over time, we'll have a new culture here that Mm -hmm. treats women differently. And you could say that about many things in a culture. So kind of take an inventory of whatever the culture is that you want to influence, what are the things that are being done in this culture, the norms, the values that, you know, that cause God to weep, you know, that are so counter to the kingdom culture. Whatever that is, start. You could start with that, sure. couldn't, couldn't you?
3: Yeah, Scott, you asked for examples. I'm looking um, at you, Dwight, for yeah, the, some know. real I mean, great wisdom now, Dwight. Yeah, do that. I don't have any, but <laughs> I, I was thinking, how have I? I can think of my family examples of my family, but I'm thinking, well, how have I ever influenced a group? You know, and I remember once being in a village in Bangladesh, and and I was responsible for the uh, a project in this village to Provide new roofs to these families because of hail damage to their roofs, and they had it in their mind that that they were they were untouchables, and they were uh, at the low end of society. They were the lowest caste, if that was you know the caste was illegal, but that's where they were, and they were powerless, and they knew that, and I knew that, right, and and yet. For me, I didn't view them that way, I viewed them as people like my my family or anybody else. And I figured it's their decision to decide how to fix their roofs. They saw themselves as powerless victims and so they were unhappy with the budget that I had and so they were going to go on strike until we gave them better roofs. And my job was to convince them, no, I'm not in charge of the resources, you are. This is what you have, you decide. And it took about six hours for them to talk to one another to see whether I was being honest with him, but they, to convince themselves that he's telling us we really do have to make this decision. This is our agency. We have to decide now what we're gonna do about our roofs. And it was a really small thing, but they were so happy with these second-class roofs because they got to decide which second-class they had. And it was human agency this idea that, that, that I does, can I can make decisions. That they were stewards. Yeah. That I can they, make decisions. They were to have, be stewards
2: yeah. over the resources they had. And they didn't have that idea previously. And they didn't have that idea. Yeah, yeah.
3: That's super and powerful. They were the happiest guys I've ever seen mm-hmm. as they fixed their roofs that evening. You know? Anyway. Yeah.
2: Now that's a great example, Dwight. So. And it's a simple
0: example
2: of I didn't even sh- know what I was doing. You were discipling at the level of culture. Is what you were doing,
0: but you were shifting a paradigm was in the lives of these people.
3: That's, that's, that was the story.
0: And if they walked away with that shift, they're going to be solving other of the problems they have in their community, rather than waiting for somebody else to come and solve them for them. Well, that's and, huge. And
3: that's the beauty of worldview. It's it's at the paradigm level. Once you can shift a worldview, it shifts a lot of things. Mm-hmm.
2: I want to just, I think you, it breaks my heart. You see the lack of this, you know, Sean, you had, you brought up the vision, the vision Mm -hmm. piece, and and that's so important. Do Mm -hmm. you have a vision for what this could look like Mm -hmm. and how it would be different? This, this being whatever that group is, or that area where you've got some influence or that Mm -hmm. group of people, your family, your business, your whatever it is, Mm -hmm. what could it look like? If it was, if it reflected the value system and the truth of God's kingdom, what mm-hmm. would change? You got to have a vision. And mm-hmm. right now, I think we a lot of Christians just don't even they don't even mm-hmm. have a vision mm-hmm. because they've they've said that is below the line, if you will. Right? right. That's that's cultural stuff. It doesn't matter to my faith. We mm-hmm. kind of wall that off. And I I just was so taken recently in a very n- negative way by the story of. Uh, uh, who's the, help me out, guys? The guy that recently resigned from the National Institute of Health, the, Francis Collins. Francis Collins, you know, evangelical Christian. He was the head of a very large bureaucracy in the United States. One of the one of the had the one of the largest budgets of any bureaucracy in the United States. This National Institute of Health, and he was an evangelical Christian running that, and so he had a big platform there to shape a culture of a whole bureaucracy. Given the position of leadership that he had. But then when he retired here recently, it came out that one of the decisions that the NIH had made under his leadership was to provide funding to the University of Pittsburgh to be used for research on aborted baby body parts mm. and you know whatever benefits yeah. we could get from that kind of research. Mm. Horrific, just horrific injustice. Yeah. And you asked the question, how could how could a Christian who is over that kind of program and budget do such a thing? And I think the answer is no, no vision. Mm-hmm. It was below the line. This is this is my work. This is This isn't my faith. You know, discipleship for me is mm-hmm. I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. Yeah. He probably did all those things. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have any influence or impact on how I think about my work in the National Institute of Public Health mm-hmm. to the point where he could— go along with this very Darwinian idea of, you know, what a, what a human being is, a, an unborn person is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't mean to pick on him, but I just think it's reflective of the mindset of so many Christians. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a vision for discipling the culture, you just mm-hmm. don't do it. Mm-hmm. There's a culture. It's a destructive, deadly culture. Mm-hmm. And we could easily go along with it. So.
0: One part of this story, Scott, that you're telling that really takes this to the next level. It's not simply harvesting aborted baby body parts. They've been doing that for decades. It is recognizing that they need living tissue for research. So they do the abortion in a way that the baby is alive and whole when it is outside the womb. So that when the body parts are harvested, the baby's heart is still pumping blood. So these are the freshest tissues there can be. This is the thing that was going on at the University of Pittsburgh under this grant.
2: And it, it's driven by a worldview, Daryl. It is. It's driven by a worldview. It's a Darwinian worldview. There isn't a God. We are just accidents of a purposeless process of evolution. We're just matter. So, of course, you can use these parts. They don't have any intrinsic value. In fact, pragmatically, if they can bring value to me, what's to stop me? That That's consistent with an atheistic Darwinian view. Exactly. But here's...
0: And you have a car that's broken, and what do you do? You go to another car and take a part out of it, put it in your car, so your car runs. It's treating a human being like a machine. A car. A car. Exactly, yeah.
2: So... It's, it's, you know, there is a worldview that's shaping that culture. It's discipled mm. according to a particular worldview. Yeah. Our job as Christians isn't just to go along mm. with whatever that worldview is. Or
0: stick our heads in the sand. Or
2: pretend that, yeah, it's to say, no, our job is to disciple at the level of culture with the truth about a living that's God, right. mm. including the truth about who human beings are. What is, what is, right. the, what is the unborn in the woman's womb? Mm. That's right. There's a truth to that. So we've got to speak that. We've got to build a culture around that. But again, so many Christians, I think, because it's, It's they they don't connect the dot between discipleship and that. Mm -hmm. That's not discipleship. That's my work. And
0: again, that goes back to sacred-secular divide. Right. Mm -hmm. What we're interested in is spiritual things. If it's below the line, that's a different story. Yeah
4: yeah you've already mentioned like the idea of spiritual disciplines is important and it's and it is good it's it's you have to know the nature and character of God you need to to know who Jesus is and then once you know that it's not just about um, me and Jesus as my best friend and I walk through life and he goes with me, but it's then taking that nature and character and letting it live out of you um, so right. that you do have something to confront an idea. Mm-hmm. we I think something that we haven't talked about much is just the spiritual dimension of these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Like discipleship at the level of culture uh, becomes a spiritual activity because there is uh, a culture that is not representing the true uh, nature and character of the living God. And therefore, it's it needs to be changed. We have to acknowledge that, recognize that, and then do something to change that, to bring about life. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You know, Those things of who he is, that expressed in our culture brings the way to live life, the truth of living life, um, the abundance that life can bring to us. Mm-hmm. But if we don't connect who he is to the way I live outside of my just Personal relationship mm-hmm. with him, then I can do what you just yeah. said. Um, I can support something that's destructive, right. while still thinking my relationship with him is intact. Mm-hmm. You know, there's we have to acknowledge that. Um, <clears throat> I think that there is this spiritual implication of what God desires, what His kingdom looks like when it's expressed in the world. It's a faith. It's a faith thing, and when we do that, we live that out. Trusting that the power of truth will transform, will confront the the spirit of uh, of of the age or of the of the wickedness of the world.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Sean. You know, I'm thinking back to Collins again, and my guess is if you ask him, and I, I, I again, I don't I, I don't want I want to be careful here, but. It, my guess is he would say something like, "But that's but that's my own private belief, and it doesn't really have any place here, mm-hmm. in my public life, right? In my life sure. as a leader of this big, you know, government institution, it's, this is what I believe. It's personal. It's private, mm. and I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Okay, it is personal. Our faith is very personal. It mm. is not private. Right. Yeah. If God is the Lord of all, if it is true, it's public. That's right. It's public truth. Leslie Newbegin, you know, mm-hmm. is very famous for saying this. Yeah, and so it has to be lived out publicly, not just and that's in another your own personal, private life.
4: Of yeah. what? How do we do this? How do we take these ideas and live them out? Well, is yeah. your faith private or is it public? Exactly. You know, how do I make my faith more more public in that sense?
0: And tyrannical governments, wherever they're found, whatever part of the world they're found, they may be okay with you living your faith privately, but there's no place for it publicly, and if if you seek to speak publicly, speaking the truth in the public place, they can clamp down on you and often will clamp down on you, and this is the price that has to be paid, and it's one of the reasons is... Dwight brought it up earlier, there's, there's a fear. Because what could happen to me if I spoke the truth or if I lived my life in a way that confronted lies? Even if I wasn't speaking just the way I was mm-hmm. living my life, would confront the lies. Tell us a
4: story about the, the man in Germany who didn't put the sign in his now, this, oh, is, yeah. this
0: comes from Vaclav Havel, the first president of Czechoslovakia. And then, when uh, the Czech Republic and then Slovak uh, split, he became the first president of the Czech Republic. He wasn't a politician, he wasn't a lawyer, he was a poet. <laughs> and so he thought along a different track of lines than a politician would. And he would tell a story about uh, a man this was during the communist era where in order to have a business you had to you know have the approval of the government and you had to be careful that you didn't uh, uh, violate what the government had set out and the government wanted you to have a sign in your window workers of the world unite and uh, if you if the police came around and you didn't have that sign, they could shut down your business. So uh, this man put a sign in his window, workers that ruled Unite. He didn't believe it, but he put it there. So he was safe. And Havel asked the question, what would have happened if he had removed the sign? And of course, one of the things he was happened, uh, he could have been arrested and he could have had his business shut down. But he said the other thing that would have happened is everyone in the community would know the truth. Mm. The emperor has no clothes. And that is walking and living in truth. Would that have an impact? Yes. Mm. That's, that's how we need to think in those terms. Are we willing to do the truth, speak the truth, even if it's costly? Mm-hmm. Because in doing so, you're affirming before the watching world.
2: Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the power of that story for me, Darrow, is that it didn't matter what the sign said, in a sense. It said, in this case, it was workers of the world unite, so it's this communist slogan but the government, the the party, the power, used it as a way of... Uh, bringing conformity. Yeah, exactly. It was a way of... You know, the guy didn't believe in communism. He thought it was wicked. But it was a sign that he was going to go along to get along, in a sense. And, uh, you know, uh, when he finally got the courage up to take the sign down, you know, it called into question the whole edifice of lies upon which that was built. Yeah. So... I think we have to do that. You know, mm-hmm. to, 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 to disciple at the level of culture is to change cultures that are demonic in many ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Some of our listeners may be familiar with a man named Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson is a, what has been a professor at Toronto University. And uh, he has engaged uh, with transgender people in his classroom. And he has called them by whatever preferred pronoun they wanted and by whatever name they gave him. He was quite happy to do it. And then the provincial government mandated by law that you had to do that. And he got on television and said, that's not the place of the government. I will not do that. And he'd been doing it all along, but it hadn't been mandated. And he did that, and within days, he was a global phenomenon. phenomenon. And he said no, because the government had overstepped its bounds and tried to force thought and speech.
2: Well, you're, you're opening up a whole other avenue of discussion we need to pick up at a different time, I think, Darrow. But that is... This whole question of what, why, why is that an overstep of the government no, to do we, that? We you know? can
0: do that on yeah. another Is that a biblical thing hour. or not? That's a whole other hour. thing. But, no, but yeah. the principle we should not be questioning because that's, this is exactly Vaclav Havel's point in telling the story. Do we speak in the midst of tyranny? Mm-hmm. Are we willing to be biblical,
2: to to speak the truth, biblical truth, in the midst of a culture that does not support that and in which there'll be a price to be paid if we do? I think in some ways is a good way of, of saying it for yeah. this discussion.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dara, I've, I've heard you say that um, Satan, here's another, this idea of discipleship at the level of culture is quite unique, I think, and something that the DNA talks about. But uh, this idea that Satan lies at the level of culture, um, and you use that as a uh, springboard to say, therefore, we must disciple at the level of culture. But could you just expound on that just for a minute? Like, what do you mean by Satan lies at you the well, level th- of culture? I think
0: most of us would agree that Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies. Mm-hmm. And most of us think of that in terms of, you know, what are we listening to? Mm -hmm. you know it's a personal thing is Satan lying to me Mm -hmm. and there's a place where he can and does but um, culture is the intersection of the transcendent world with the physical world it's the membrane as it were Hmm. between the spiritual and the physical Hmm. say that one more time sorry that's a good statement but say it again the culture is the membrane. It's the uh, line of the horizon between the spiritual and the physical. And Satan lies at the level of culture, institutions are built from those lies. We build whole institutions and then we live within the framework of those institutions. It's how this is how life works. This is what's normal. And you mentioned a little while ago there is a spiritual war going on, but that spiritual war isn't simply out there in the heavenlies. That spiritual war manifests itself in the physical realm through culture. And lies are spoken at the level of culture Mm -hmm. that shape the whole of society, and then we live within the framework Mm -hmm. of those lies. And we don't even know it. It's just the air we breathe, the Mm -hmm. water we swim in. Mm -hmm. But again, this goes back to what we said earlier. We need to disciple at the level of culture. Mm -hmm. God wants his kingdom to come from heaven to be modeled, to be... Uh, Established here on earth Mm -hmm. Perfectly No not until Christ returns But But substantially Mm -hmm. And that means it has to have An institutional impact Mm -hmm. Institutions need to be Changed Mm -hmm. Corrupt justice systems Need to become um, Corrupt justice systems Need to become more just Mm -hmm. Systems Mm -hmm. Laws that may make something legal that's immoral need to be changed so that the laws reflect the moral
2: Mm -hmm.
0: we all know there's things that we can do that are legal but not moral but the question is is it legal? Mm -hmm. if it's legal, well then I can do it right so very good
3: I have one very small illustration of discipling at the level of culture. And uh, Scott, you know what I say, what I'm going to say, but uh, I, I am so impressed with the, the, the impact of Darwin in theory on our world in terms of how it impacts every single aspect of society. I mean, everything is spoken of oftentimes, whether it's economics or business or health, it's always in evolutionary terms. And, and it's just assume now that evolution is fact, that Darwin's random mis- non- misguided, no unguided process is the re- is why we got here. Yeah. Matter is the reason. yeah. Um, so I feel like step one encountering anything in our world begins with God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. You can't talk about the image of God and man if he wasn't created by God. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Mm -hmm. with my kids when they were young we would look at sunsets we would look at amazing aspects of life um, whether it's a flower or a tree or understanding how photosynthesis work and I'd often say isn't evolution amazing (laughs) or I talk about the miracle of evolution Mm
1: -hmm.
3: basically they knew I was being ironic and Mm -hmm. they would laugh and now they say that dad Mm -hmm. the miracle of evolution you know and Sometimes, you know, getting back to your hobble thing, you don't have to always confront the truth head on. You can just pour irony onto it mm-hmm. and, and be ironic. But anyway, that was my small attempt to disciple at the level of culture. At a family level. That's great.
2: I think that's a good, a good way to, to kind of end it there, Dwight. I, I want Christians to have a vision. This is part of our mission. It's not just to live out our faith personally and privately, but publicly in a way that shapes the culture, moves it away from the lies of Satan towards the truth of God and his word, towards freedom flourishing, blessing. Uh, That's God's intention. That's why he raised up Israel. That's why Christ came. That's why we're saved. Not just to have a personal relationship with God, but to create cultures that reflect his truth, goodness, and beauty. So... Yeah, I hope that encourages everyone of you guys out there. Let's be people that disciple at the level of culture.
4: Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you humbly uh, admitting uh, our own weakness, admitting that um, we often hold on to lies that keep us bound instead of embracing the truth that sets us free. As followers of Jesus, we want you to invade our hearts and our minds to allow the truth to do its work within us, to expose the lies that we've believed, and to set us on the right track of living and following and uh, trusting the truth, uh, that it will accomplish the work that you've called it to do. And Lord, we live in cultures that have also, as Daryl mentioned, just been lied to, and by by the by Satan. And we know that your word speaks truth. It is truth, and it sets us free. So help us to know how to take the truth of your word into our cultures, to live it, uh, to be truthing people who speak and live according to your word and that confronts the, the lies of the world and sets people free. We want to see your kingdom come, Jesus, and we want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We call out to you for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Ideas Have Consequences. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to visit us on social media. We are the Disciple Nations Alliance on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. To dive deeper into our content and teaching, go to thedisciplenations.org, that is, Disciplenations.org, and check out our resource page. There you'll find free online training courses books, blogs, and hopefully everything else you'll need to continue to think biblically about everything. Thanks again for listening.